0: Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew 28. I don't know exactly when the term fake news entered our lexicon. When did that happen? I don't remember it 10 years ago. I don't think Trump invented it, but he used it a lot. Certainly it was popularized in the last several years. Well, the... The term may be new, but the concept is rather old, right? This is this is the telling of an event with the with the idea in mind to give a false impression. It's it's to obscure the truth or to to hide the truth. It's, it's a story that pushes in the wrong direction. Fake news has more to do with the report what the reporter wants you to think than what necessarily happened there. Now, you're familiar with the reality that fake news has been around for a while, but you probably weren't expecting to find it in your Bible, which is right where we find it this morning. I can't say it's the original fake news because I think it was probably going on before this as well, but certainly here is some ancient fake news, and it's fake news to counteract the good news that we find in Matthew twenty-eight. So this morning we're gonna be we're gonna be finishing Matthew twenty eight, which finishes Matthew, which finishes our series. And it's been a while, friends, so it's exciting to get to finish this book with you. So before we get into the text, let me just catch you up. If you weren't here last week particularly, here's here's where we left off. Last week we had the the privilege and the fun of 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 working through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and considering that together. And I want to just, I want to point back, this is the beginning of Matthew 28, the first paragraph. I just want to point back to what happened in one particular way. The resurrection is the big point of that. But what we see is that these women that came were given an up-close view of what had happened that morning. The angel came down for them rolled away the stone for them, he invited them to come in and see that the, the grave was empty, that he had risen as he had said, and then the angel commissioned them to go tell the disciples that he has risen. So they were to be witnesses of what they had just seen. You know, there's courtroom witnesses all the time, right? So you witness a car accident and there's some dispute about it. You may find yourself in court giving testimony as to what you saw. Well, that's what these women are called to do, to give testimony to what they saw, because they saw that empty grave with their own eyes. So we knew, leaving off from last week, we knew that there was this group of ladies leaving the tomb with the good news in their mouth that he had risen. And what we find out as we pick up this morning is that they were not the only group leaving the tomb. So let's look at that together, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 28. Follow along with me. Speaking of the ladies, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders... And taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The women... We're not the only ones leaving the tomb. As they were going, someone else was going. The women were heading to the disciples to tell them of the empty grave. And the soldiers were heading to the city to tell them of the empty grave. They go straight to their employers, the one who had hired them to guard the tomb, the chief priests and the elders. And they, it says, it tells that they say all that has taken place. Well, what all had taken place? I could imagine the captain of the guard probably uncomfortably needing to speak up at this moment and explain, well, we we were all standing there. We were doing as we were told. I had positioned two guards right at the stone itself, and I had positioned three guards out in front, and then there were five of us gathered around the fire preparing breakfast, and we were kind of working in shifts. And while we were there cooking our food, the earth began to shake. It was an earthquake unlike I've ever heard. The ground was shaking, it sounded like thunder, the trees were swaying, the birds were all taking off. And then this God-man came down, like a, like a child of Zeus. Maybe it was Zeus himself, I don't know, but it was not a human being came down so bright we couldn't look at him, and he said something, and we all passed out. We did not fall asleep, and I did not dream this. That's what happened. We all passed out. And, and then when we came to, he was gone, and the stone had been rolled away. And we looked in, and the grave was empty. Not our fault. Who are we to contend with the God's. Something like that, they would have said. The high priest, at that point, they received this firsthand account from four or five or 12 of the soldiers that were right there to testify to the empty tomb. And of course, we all know that at that point, the, the religious leaders fall on their knees and say, oh, we were wrong about Jesus. We repent. God, forgive us. Now that we have this firsthand indisputable account of the resurrection, we believe that he is the Son of God. No. No. No despite the first-hand account. No despite the obvious honesty of the guards. Despite hearing what had just happened, they refused to believe. They refused to believe. In fact, they might have believed, but still they chose not to believe because they had reason to not believe. They were concerned for their own position, their own course in life, their own decisions that they had just made to crucify this one, their own agenda. It all got in the way, and they would not believe. His rising from the dead would be, let's say, a massive inconvenience for their life. And so they did not believe. And so they paid the soldiers to lie, gave them money, and fed them the story. Here's what you should say. Now, now think of it for, for a moment. This is the religious leaders teaching heresy, teaching false disciples, Making, baptizing false disciples. Here's what you should say. Say that you fell asleep. Say that he has not risen. Say that his disciples took the body. They commission them as false evangelists. We're about to read, you're probably familiar with the end of Matthew, is the great commission. Here's the false commission right before it. Here is the fake news commission right before the good news commission. And Matthew ends verse 15 by saying, this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And what Matthew's doing there, he's providing a little bit of personal commentary. He doesn't do this very often. So far, for a long time, all we've been doing is following the course of events. He's had us at the cross. He had us at the grave. He had us seeing the angel. He had us there witnessing these uh, religious leaders telling these guys to lie. And then Matthew backs up as the guy penning this, probably 30 years later. And he says, You know, as I look back over those 30 years since that Easter morning, that's still believed today. That fake news has continued down through the decades, even to my writing of this book. That fake news had legs. It had staying power. It was believed over and over and over again. Why? Why did that fake news take root so quickly? Well, we can look to the hearts of men. To the hearts of men and women who, because our deeds are dark, love the darkness rather than the light. We would rather not turn to God because turning to God makes us admit who we are. that is no doubt part of it. But friends, that's not the only thing going on. There is a spiritual energy behind this fake news. There is a spiritual satanic power behind these lies. You know, Satan's name is the deceiver. He is the deceiver, the mastermind of fake news. The God of this world, is the father of lies. And these are his lies. Lies about Jesus. Lies about the resurrection. Lies about the gospel. If you're unfamiliar, friends, this is Satan's game. This is what he does. Open your eyes to this world and see. This is the strategy of the enemy. To drown the good news in the fake news. In the lies, in the competing religions and philosophies and ideas that create so much noise. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, if you're taking notes, write that reference down. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 gives us the strategy. This is the strategy verse for the enemy. This is what it says. It talks about the God of this world. That's a, a way of saying Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. That's what he does. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. So why are people blind to Jesus? Why don't they see the light of the gospel? Because the God of this world has blinded them. The father of lies and his fake news empire. Blinds humanity. Understand, church, that as we step out of these doors under the authority of the Great Commission, which we're about to talk about, and we go to to share the good news, we step into enemy territory. The enemy works primarily through words. Primarily through lies, through deception, through religions and philosophies. Be it, Buddhism, or Shintoism, or Mormonism, or Judaism. The religion of Islam, or the tenets of secularism. He does not care. Just turn up the volume on the static, so that the good news is drowned out. People cannot hear it. So you can have faith in yourself, or faith in science, or faith in a false god doesn't matter, so long as it keeps you from faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to look around the world, one of the questions I get asked as a pastor goes something like, wow, why is this world so confused? You can understand why people would ask this question, especially before they've come to faith. We say, there's so many possibilities out there. How am I supposed to choose one? How do I know which one is true? You know, if you didn't know better, it would look like someone was behind all this. Our warfare, and we are a church at war, is not against people. It is not against flesh and blood. It is against the principalities and powers reigning over this present darkness. And still they reign over this present darkness. And still the fake news goes forward about Jesus and primarily him not rising from the dead. How do you battle against such things, simply by speaking truth, speaking truth. There were the false disciples commissioned to speak lies, and now we will look at the Great Commission, where we are commissioned to speak truth. So look with me as we read the conclusion to the book of Matthew, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee The final words of the book, the words that Jesus would have resonate in our ears, essentially say this, take everything you just learned in the book of Matthew and tell somebody about it. Church, we've been studying this for two years. You know enough to take this and tell somebody about it. It's it's at the end for a reason, right? This is to be the thing that resonates in our ears, and we go, Oh, I didn't realize this whole time. This whole time I thought I was learning how to be a disciple. And we were. And then we learned that the disciples are called to go make other disciples. And we're called to speak the truth. So this is the great commission that Christ gives to his church. But interestingly, he doesn't start with us as he commissions us. He starts rightly with himself. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Now, you might be tempted, we might be tempted to think, well, yeah, of course, you're Jesus. You're like the Son of God. Of course you have all authority. But if we, we're right, he does have all authority, but we're missing the point. We're missing what just happened. Because something happened at the cross. Something happened when he died. Something happened when he rose again. His death was victory over those demonic powers of this world. His death was putting to open shame the principalities and the powers, the demonic presence that would keep all men bound and in slavery. His death conquered over them. And as he conquered, he was given authority from his father. This is newfound authority in the risen Christ. Think of of it like this, perhaps. For all time, all authority has dwelt with God. In this moment, dwells in the hands of a man. The God-man, Christ Jesus, who as a human being rules the cosmos. Get your mind around that on this tiny little marble of a planet in this great universe that a man sits on the throne who can inherit the the kingdom of David that was promised to be his forever, who can rule and reign over all things. That authority recently given to Christ, he claims that authority and states on the basis of that authority, you go and make disciples. Friends, uh, this is... Not just good news for us as we go to share the gospel. This is necessary news for us as we go to share the gospel. Because when it comes to us versus the father of lies, we ought to assume a rather humble posture. We don't win that game. We we don't beat the deceiver of nations. We We don't have a swagger about us. You know, as though somehow we've got this. I'll tell you what. He's got this. He's got this. He has conquered, and now he, in his command, there's two things to that. One is it should be rather bracing to us when the King of the Universe looks you in the eye and says, "Do this." There's an answer. That should spring up along the lines of yes, sir. Because of who's speaking. Should brace us to get past our fears of men. Because we fear this man. We fear this God. The funny thing that the fear of God casts out the fear of man. And there is one we should fear. And it's the one giving this command. Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. But the the other reason this is great news for us is because we can go forward in that authority. We, We don't go forward in our authority. We don't go forward in our strength. We go forward knowing, all right, he won. I'm just doing what he said. And all the effort, all the work, all the results, that all belongs to him. My job is to do what he's called me to do. And what does he call us to do? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There are two main verbs in here. The first is make disciples, and the second is teach them to observe. Those, those are two main ones. There's one that says, go, therefore, it, it, We'd be better said, in your going, make disciples. So that the, the emphasis is on the making of disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? It means bearing that good news rather than that fake news, it means speaking the truth. Friends, we have the only hope of the world. If the fake news is right and Jesus is dead, then then we are of all people most to be pitied for living our lives for a dead king. What hope is there in this life? Just go have as much fun as you can because you're going to get old and then you're going to die and it's going to be over. That is life without Jesus. That is life without God. And friend, we have a different message and it's, it's directly connected to that, that he did get up. You see how that that is inherently, that is a message of hope. He beat death, follow him. He beat death, let's follow him. He is the only way to beat death. He's the only way to give meaning to this dead life that we have. We offer hope to this world by telling them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by just sharing the good news that that you, you heard it over and over during the baptism. Are, do you know yourself to be a sinner? Part of this is telling folks, do you know that you're a sinner? This is what God word, God's word says of you. That's, that's the bad news part of the good news. That's the hard part. But, it, but if you don't get that part, you don't get to the good news. We've got to be faithful to, to declare the truth of this, that we are sinners, but that Christ died on behalf of sinners. And that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again. That all who trust in him could have eternal life that have the promise of eternal life. So what are we called to do in here? First, we're called to make disciples. That involves evangelism. It just does. Now, there's more to the Great Commission than simply evangelism, but there's not less. That's absolutely part of it. We're called to make disciples, that is, make converts, and then we're called to mature disciples, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you you know that's a lot teaching them to observe all that jesus command oh man how do you teach somebody everything that jesus said i think you need to like create churches that do this regularly <laughs> that by the way friend is a great part of the mission of the church sometimes a church gets a bad name for being focused inward it should be focused inward Not exclusively, let us also be focused outward, and and making new converts. But that is half of the Great Commission, and the other is bringing those converts to maturity and teaching all that Christ has commanded. So we are called to do both. And by the way, if we're called to teach converts to do all that Christ commanded, well, part of what he commanded is the Great Commission, Part of what we, we train each other to do is to be evangelists. So, so, we're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's part, part of what we're called to. So, let me, let me, as we get to the conclusion of the book, and obviously the Lord's application for us this morning, I, I want to begin by just encouraging you. It is easy to be discouraged in a message about evangelism or the Great Commission. But I want you to see the multiple ways that folks in this church, in different ways, are fulfilling the Great Commission. Then I want to challenge us to grow more. But but part of this, if it involves telling the gospel to those who don't know Jesus, living in such a way that gives some authenticity to that message, training up those in the faith, then, friend, when you are teaching your kids about Jesus, you're fulfilling the great commission. Many of you don't need to leave your house to be about obeying Christ right here. Maybe you're praying around the dinner table or singing around the dinner table. And, and that is that is drawing kids into this atmosphere of worshiping the king. That's great commission activity happening in homes. Maybe you come here, maybe some folks aren't hearing me right now because they're over there serving in children's ministry and, and proclaiming and modeling the gospel to the next generation of kids. Maybe maybe you're serving in Pioneer Girls or Boys Brigade or Youth Group. Lots of different ways here. It doesn't have to be in the walls of your house. doesn't have to be in the walls of this church though either. Maybe it's in that kindness to the neighbor that you're reaching out to, that you're building relationship with. Maybe looking for an open door to say something about Jesus. Maybe you're, maybe you're praying for a coworker. Your prayers are Great Commission activity if you're praying Great Commission prayers. Maybe it's sharing Christ with a family member, praying that the Lord would save your kids, save your friends, save your parents. Maybe, maybe it's giving. You know, giving is a part of Great Commission activity. You know, we, we, those those who are here right now, are not, (laughs) we're not elsewhere. We are here. We have sent some others elsewhere. And that takes giving. So there's been this, this contribution to Great Commission activity, both here and overseas. Focused on seeing the kingdom grow. So, where you see those areas in your life, give thanks to God. And ask the Lord, Lord, continue to use me. And would you use me more? Friend, I would say, for me personally, and probably for most here, evangelism is still hard. Sharing the gospel is still difficult. I, wanna, I want to let you know about an opportunity to apply this message that we have uniquely here at Mercy Hill. Um, it's because of Paul Richardson sitting in the fourth row. Uh, if, if you know Paul, you know that he tells people about Jesus. In fact, maybe you've been embarrassed as he told somebody about Jesus with you there. Because if you ever go out in public with Paul, it's just going to happen. It is just going to, just watch out. Praise God. Paul spends almost every Saturday morning passing out Bibles in downtown Fredericksburg. Uh... And then if they're willing to take a Bible, he'll ask if they're willing to talk about it. And if they are, he'll make a beeline to the gospel and share the good news of Jesus. Nine out of ten Sundays, that's where you'll find him because he delights to do this. Friend, that's called obedience. But I also believe that is a gift to our church. Right? Are we all called to evangelism? Yes, yes. But I I think the Lord's given a gift to Paul in this that can be a model to us, an encouragement to us. And so here's our opportunity, all right? Here's your opportunity. If the Lord would call you to apply this in this way, let me make clear, the Lord is calling you to apply this. It is a commission, and it's not mine. But if the Lord's calling you to apply it in this way, then talk with Paul and go with him. And here's all you need to do. Go with him and pray. Just stand on that street corner as he hands out Bibles and pray for each person he encounters. You know what that does for Paul? That encourages him. He's not alone. You know what that does for you? Put something on your calendar to be about praying for the lost. Put some feet to it and says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to push past my embarrassment and my nervousness. And perhaps after a few weeks, you'll hand out a Bible, and perhaps you'll get to say something. So I think from a certain perspective, it's a rather easy win. It's a rather easy step. So two weeks ago, Paul came to me and said, Hey, Ken, you know, I'd love to take people with me. And I said, Wow, I've been praying about what the application is going to be at the end of the book of Matthew. I think we found it. So it's an opportunity for us as a church to join with him and I think allow the gift God's given him to benefit all of us who aren't routinely out there like he is. Does it make you nervous? Me too. Perhaps another question is more helpful. you trust Jesus? Trust him? Is it good news that we have? It good? Will, will, it, will it be a blessing to anyone that actually receives it? Are we selling a bad product? You know, like we kind of know deep down, like this isn't a good product. Friends, we've got the best product in the world. We've got the best news in all the world. So We get to take the message of hope. So whether that's going with Paul or that's continuing to pray for your neighbor or talk with that person at work may the Lord help us to be faithful to walk out this great commission and I, wanna, I want, you to, uh, want to leave you with the last words that he leaves us with because it would be hard to imagine more encouraging words at the end of the book and behold and look and check this out I am with you always To the end of the age. Praise God, Church. We don't do this alone. So at the beginning, He promised His power, and at the end, He promises His presence. He is with us. And and oh that little phrase to the end of the age. You know, if that wasn't there, I would have thought, well, yeah, He's with the disciples always because, like, they're the disciples. But the end of the age, well, well, we're not there yet. So he's still here. That's good news. Those words are for you. Those words are for me. That our Lord is with us. Us, not just them. Us until the end of the age. And it says he's with us always. This could be applied in a thousand ways, at a thousand times, where you can rely on the presence of the Lord with you. But I will say, the context is that he is with us in our going, in our evangelizing, in our telling in our walking out the Great Commission. and So have no faith in yourself, but have all faith in him, that he will meet you on the street corner with Paul. He will meet you as you walk forward. So let us go forward with him, and let us make him known together.